Welcome to this episode of the Greater Phoenix Chambers podcast. Let's talk business Phoenix with your host, me, Todd Sanders, President and CEO of the Greater Phoenix Chamber. In each episode, we're going to tackle important issues and subjects affecting businesses, our community, and the state today. Through relevant, timely topics, this podcast serves as the business community's voice with a mission of championing business growth, identifying problems that restrict economic development, and convening community leaders to move Phoenix forward. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Todd Sanders, and we are honored today to be with the Chief Innovation Officer of the Greater Phoenix Chamber slash Foundation, Jennifer Miller. Jen, welcome to the podcast. What a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So um, we're going to start with maybe uh, an, a, a question to get people to know you a little bit better. Obviously, they can read about your bio and all the great things you're doing. Tell us something about yourself that's perhaps not on your bio. Yes. Um, well, one of the things that is not in my bio is that I am actually the daughter of a serial entrepreneur. So I grew up in a household where um, we were expected to work on a variety of things. So um, I've pr I probably had 10 different jobs before I had my first official job. So sort of it's in your blood. Yes. It's, and so naturally you'd be part of the, the Greater Phoenix Chamber. So tell us uh, a little bit about your background and, and how you got to the chamber. Yeah, so uh, I actually grew up in Topeka, Kansas, and uh, ended up coming out to Arizona State University. That's what brought me to Arizona. I did a short little stint in California um, and then met my love, and he brought me back here to Arizona. We're glad about that. Rightfully so. Uh, and then I have an accounting degree from the uh, Arizona State University and also my MBA from University of Phoenix. And I became a an accountant at the chamber was my starting point. And shortly after getting my CPA license, I got, you shifted me into a different role at the, the chamber. And that was the beginning of my journey. Yeah, well, it, it really has been a, quite a journey. I think we came to the chamber around the same time. Uh, obviously, you've, t you've had a number of roles and now we're a recovering accountant. Tell us about your current role at the chamber. Yes. So currently I oversee both economic development on the chamber side, as well as the foundation, which is heavily focused on education and workforce. Um, and I'm really proud of all of the different programs that we've built under the, the found foundation umbrella, um, specifically Elevate Ed AZ, uh, which is our education initiative working directly with high school students to try to better prepare them for college and career. Well, it sounds like uh, your career sort of up to this point sort of prepared you for this this role where you're really focusing on, on in many ways, mostly workforce. Absolutely. And I, I look back to my journey. Um, yes, I was that girl that knew I wanted to be an accountant when I was <laughs> uh, an eighth grader. And all through my high school journey, I knew that that's exactly what I wanted to do. That was going to be my career. That was going to be my job. Um, but it took a lot of post-secondary education to get there. Yeah, it did. I, I think that's a good point about this idea that, you know, it's black or white college career. No, it's, it's a lifelong journey. And I think that's part of the work that you're talking about. So let's let's go in, into that a little bit. You men mentioned Elevate Ed. Was this something that sort of you just dreamed up one day and decided this is the work we'd be doing? How, do, how did this come about? Elevate Ed has been just this um, evolution of, of different work and um, it's definitely transformed thanks to a lot of the expertise from experts across the country and looking at best practices. Um, that's really what shaped Elevate Ed and what we're doing. 
Um, we, we actually started all of this work with our workforce collaboratives, and we have six workforce collaboratives under the chamber umbrella where we're bringing industry together and trying to collaborate and get them to solve talent issues together. And a lot of that work was done in the post-secondary space. Um, but what we really started to understand is that we, we are not preparing kids in high school to fill those roles, um, whether those require post-secondary education or if there's, those are going directly into a career. Um, so we started to think about how we could pull that, that workforce thread back into our high school system. And we actually took a tour of uh, the academies at Nashville. Um, you, myself, along with several business leaders in the community, went to the academies of Nashville alongside Phoenix Union School District and some of their teachers and, and academic leaders. And we started to look at what the academies of Nashville model looked like and how we could replicate that work back in the Phoenix market. Uh, when Once we came back, we brought a ton of community leaders together, um, both educators and community leaders that have a vested interest in education. And uh, we, we got a lot of input. And what we found is the, the Nashville model, parts of it could work here in Phoenix, but not the, the full model. Um, and so uh, after different discussions and iterations, we found what would work for us. Um, and then we started working with Phoenix Union. And as we started that partnership, we found um, some things that worked, some things that didn't work. And we really started to narrow in our focus. And now I can say we have four very, very clear objectives of our work that that we've been able to pinpoint and we're now able to build and expand. Yeah, I like to call it the 10 year overnight success story. Yes. Uh, I think it's it's really interesting to, to watch what happened. Let me ask you, because a lot of times sort of the, the mythology around sort of the workforce problem is that business leaders and others just sort of look at education. Well, obviously, you're, you're not hitting the mark. Is that true? Is it is it necessarily a, a business? Uh, I'm sorry, is it an education issue? Is it a business issue? Where where is this? It is both. Um, okay. We we need businesses leaning into the education system and helping support the education system. I think we have a lot of investments from from the community um, that are helping build the infrastructure to support our schools. But what happens is we build these packages and then we hand them off to a school and we say, okay, now go and implement. And that that final mile is really, really critical. And um, I think that's where a lot of the, the big picture work that's being done in our community, um, that's where it falls flat. And that's where I think Elevate Ed leans in. And we have college and career coaches on campus that are really pushing through to make those changes. Well, I, I want to come back to that in a second. Uh, there, there, in, in my time at the chamber, and even before the, the legislature, there was always the number of initiatives to, to do something in workforce or something in education. Um, when you started to talk to business leaders about this idea, what was the reception? Was was it a was it a warm reception? Was it a cool? Was it well, we needed to wait and see? What did you hear? Yeah, I think the business community would say, um, or when we started working on Elevate, they Elevate Ed, they would say we we need to engage with education but we don't necessarily know how, how to do it. And I think we've seen a lot of examples where um, the business community, one specific business partner has leaned into a school. Um, that was how the Phoenix Coding Academy got started, right. was one business that said, we need this in our community. Um, the, the, what happens though, when some of those business, business partnerships are formulated is they might be built on one person 
And so then they're not sustainable because that person leaves that company or that company, maybe they go on a hiring freeze and those those partnerships start to dissipate and a lot of time and investment put into to building those up. Um, where I see where I see businesses struggle is um, offering internships or engaging with high school students. A lot of businesses will say we can't have students um, working on the manufacturing floor because they have to be 18 or we don't think that bus- that uh, high school students can do what we need them to do. And so changing that perception, I think, is difficult. And that's a heavy lift. I mean, th- there, there is that perception and what they could they could be the best student at, at the high school or or someone who just needs some help. But I think there's that perception that, well, high school kids shouldn't really be in in the in, the, in this type of environment. Exactly. And I can say I did a mock interview with a young lady yesterday and I was like, wow, um, any company would be really lucky to have her on board. Yeah, it's it's um, interesting to watch some of these success stories. I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. But um, you mentioned college and career coaches. And I think one of the things that, that I learned about our system is that the, the, the student to counsel ratio is over 900 to 1 which is stunning. And there's no way that the, those counselors can, can sort of meet these demands. We decided to put folks, boots on the ground in the high schools. How many high schools are we in now? We are currently in 10 high schools. Okay, we're currently in 10. That's expanding. Talk to us about what, what our folks are doing at the high schools and the impact. Yes. So we currently have nine college and career coaches embedded at the, those 10 campuses. Uh, we're working on the 10th one, so we're we're hoping to find somebody great there. Um, but those college and career coaches are, one, working with administrators to try and break down barriers. Um, so maybe it's, hey, we need... Um, we need to offer dual enrollment courses um, in in these particular areas, and so working with administrative administration in that format, um, but then also working with teachers and students to try to best prepare them for for college and career, and trying to get them into some of these CTE pathways. Um, so, as an example, yesterday um, one of our coaches held a series of mock interviews, um, helping prepare students for internships, um, which students will be placed into over the next couple of weeks. Um, so, we have a number of companies that have committed to internships, and um, again, our coaches are making sure that they have their resumes up to snuff, that they have a mock interview, um, so that they're best prepared prepared for that opportunity. Um, But they're also working with teachers to help try and achieve some of our outcomes. So one of our metrics is around dual enrollment and trying to increase the the number of students that aren't just sitting in a dual enrollment class, but are actually opting into that dual enrollment credit. And so we have coaches that are working with those, those teachers, trying to get them to talk about dual enrollment, helping students understand how to navigate that process. We will incentivize teachers to actually um, increase the number of students taking dual enrollment. Well, and for folks who maybe are thinking about advanced placement as maybe something they'd heard of before, um, talk to us about what, what is dual enrollment and what's the difference between that and advanced placement and why should we care? Yes. So advanced placement and dual enrollment both um, lead to early early college credit. Um, Advanced placement, I think, is has been around a a lot longer, is really heavily incentivized. But um, a student that's in an advanced placement course, um, they basically take the course throughout the year and then they uh, take a, a test at the end of the year. If they get a three, four or a five, that's considered a passing grade and they get credit for that that as a an early college credit. And do they have to pay for this? 
they have to pay yeah. for the test, but it, it's fairly nominal. Um, unfortunately, only 50% of students ta- actually take the test. Okay. Um, and then even fewer of those actually pass the test. Um, so not really great results as far as achieving early college credit. Um, on the other side, we have a dual enrollment option and a student that actually enrolls in a dual enrollment course, they're actually considered a student at both the high school and the college, the community college. And as long as they get a passing grade, so a C or better on the, the class, they're getting that early college credit. And data tells us that 95% of the students that actually take a dual enrollment course get the early college credit. So one of the challenges for us is to make sure the kids are actually enrolled, though, so that they get the credit. Is that correct? Correct. You could actually be in a dual enrollment class, but unless you opt in to the community college um, and become a community college student, um, then then you're not considered a dual enrollment student. So what I'm hearing you say, especially as it relates to kids graduating high school, is it conceivable to think that a kid can graduate and have their first year or maybe even a bachelor or an, an associate's? by the time they graduate from high school? Yes, we have lots. There's lots of examples of students that have actually achieved an associate's degree before they graduate from high school. And that's really what we're trying to build up is making sure that students do have that that early college credit so that they can cut some time off at the community college and university level. Well, I imagine that's also significantly reduced costs for higher education uh, for, for people that are trying to make sure they have that education. Absolutely. Reduce the cost significantly. Um, one thing that that occurs to me, so imagine that you, you, you're a business and you're also looking for a workforce, but you think, well, I can just go out and create my own solution. Why do I need to work with a foundation? I can just go and find um, the folks that I need and I'll be I'll be good. What would you say to that business? Well, I would say there's just a changing mindset with companies now where it's like, hey, just send me people and, and I'll hire them and train them. And that's really not all that realistic. There's a big difference between healthcare talent and IT talent, for example, um, just the, the basic skills. Um, but we're, I think we're seeing more and more companies that have this send them to me and I will train them mentality. And unfortunately, that, that doesn't play well long term for those employees. Because if you're training talent on specifically what you want them to know, then when that individual goes out and tries to get another another job opportunity, that employer is relying on your the skills that you've provided um, as as a certification, if, if you will. Whereas individuals that actually get a degree or a certification, those are industry standards that have been adopted, um, where an individual that comes with an in my case, a, a CPA, mm-hmm. you know that, hey, I'm going to have somebody that that has a technical knowledge in accounting. And selfishly, you may think, well, that's great because they'll stay with me. But in the event you need to hire someone else from somewhere else, it's going to be difficult because they're not going to have the training you need. Exactly. And if if you have to downsize, um, which we've seen a lot of thing, a, a lot of downsizing happen in previous markets, then those those individuals are going to have to go find employment elsewhere mm-hmm. and they're going to have a difficult time. What role do certificates play in this in this process? Are they is is it something that kids can actually go out and, and get in and graduate with? Yes, many of our students are actually getting certifications at the high school level, um, but those the the value of those certifications ranges significantly. Um, so we have a the number one certification that's earned in the state. Our our employers have said we don't even know what that is. So we're putting a lot of investment into getting students this certification 
when that student goes into a place of employment and says, hey, I have this certification, the employer is going to go, that doesn't have any value to me. Currently, we're we're training kids with a certification that no employer recognizes. Correct. Okay. (laughs) What are we doing about that? (laughs) So we're working with our school partners to try and increase um, certifications in highly aligned areas. So for example, um, we're working with um, our education partners, our districts, um, and Arizona Department of Education to get some new certifications on the list that industry has said, we highly recognize these, we value these. Um, And then we're also working to try to get some of those other certifications removed from the list. We're also incentivizing teachers and students in those certifications that industry has deemed valuable. Okay. And we saw a significant uptick in the number of certifications that were earned last year as a result of those incentives. Which is the goal. College and career ready. Yep. Um, you mentioned other industries. Uh, and I know you look at the data all the time. Healthcare, what are we seeing? Uh, sort of post-ish pandemic, what's happening in, in that industry, especially as it relates to nurses? Yes. So um, healthcare is a huge industry for us. Um, and the nursing shortage was a ch- challenge prior to the pandemic. Now it's an even more significant challenge. And um, we're also seeing across the entire healthcare spectrum, a decrease of employment. Because if you work in food service or housekeeping, for example, we, we've heard from our hospitals that people are worried about getting sick. Um, and the exposure of being in a hospital. So um, it's not just at the nursing level or the clinical level, but it's all across the board in the healthcare sector. Um, at the same time, we've so we've also seen significant um, uh, attrition in, in the healthcare space. We know that a lot of nurses got burnt out during the pandemic. Um, a lot of them have shifted into other careers. I was talking with somebody today and they said 75% of their nurses um, were new grad nurses, which when you're going in to get medical care, you want to make sure that you have folks, you have a good balance of, you know, experienced nurses and and some of those new folks. Um, So definitely a significant challenge. Absolutely. Um, Advanced manufacturing, we've seen a big influence of advanced manufacturers like TSMC. Clearly, we we, we have Intel. Um, What's the story there? Manufacturing is an anomaly. Um, When we look at workforce data, we look at historic workforce data. And if you go look at the historic workforce data, manufacturing has really not been a significant industry um, for Arizona. We have definitely have our sectors, you know, in the aerospace sector, for example. Um, But it over the last couple of years with the announcement of TSMC and the expansion of Intel, uh, it's it's blown through the roof. And so we're, we're actually working at the high school level to try and get new manufacturing programs put in place at some of our high school partners. Um, we, we have one program across the three districts that we partner with that serve roughly 50 to 75,000 students, one program in manufacturing that serves 24 students. A lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. Um, But I'm really pleased to announce that one of our new school partners um, actually announced that they would be um, implementing a manufacturing pathway as part of our partnership. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Well, we we do have a foundation, and and that's part of your purview. Giving Tuesday is coming up. Why should people consider giving to the foundation? And how can they do it? Yes. So I think um, the foundation is 
under the radar when it comes when it comes to giving. Um, but the impact that we have on students is really significant. And we are truly changing lives of individuals in our community while also meeting the workforce need. So when you think about giving, I, I do hope that others will join me in giving to the Greater Phoenix Chamber Foundation. And you can do it easily online through our website at phoenixchamberfoundation.com. Excellent. We only have a few minutes left. Uh, you know, Jen, you're very involved, obviously, at, at the Phoenix Chamber level, the foundation, a little bit community-wide. You're really engaged. When you think about this, think about your family. What are Arizona's biggest strengths and what are Arizona's biggest challenges? You make one or two in each category. Yeah. Um that's a really good question. And I am very entrenched in our community and want to see the success of, of Arizona um, and Greater Phoenix specifically. But I think education is the answer to both of those. Um, it, it is it is a strength. I think we've got some really great examples of success in education. Um, unfortunately, it's not been replicated across all of our schools. And so there's lots of inequities in our education system. And that's what we're really trying to, to build with Elevate Ed is to, to build some additional parity and make sure that all students have access to a quality education. I think that's a great way to end this, but we're not going to let you get away with that easy. We're going to do a quick <laughs> lightning round. Uh, just real quick uh, answers here. We'll start easy. And I think you might have sort of answered this, but uh, first job. My first job was uh, making donuts. Actually, I decorated the donuts before I went to um, kindergarten when I was five. <laughs> what did you learn from that job? <laughs> that not everybody wants sprinkles. <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird. Uh, okay. And besides the obvious current job you have with us at the chamber, dream job. Oh, so I, I really would wish I would have been a um, water skier, a professional water skier. I think I'm... I'm probably out of the realm of that. Is that now, a job? I, people make money doing it, right? Professional baker, I could see. We've you obviously are great there. Okay, <laughs> skiing. We will. We, who am I to argue? Uh, who's your role model? Uh, my mom is my role model. Um, she was. She actually was with the same company um, for over forty years when she retired, and um, she started as a telus tel teleswitch operator, mm -hmm. like connecting phone lines, which was a thing, yes. Um, and she ended up the highest ranking woman um, in a, with a, a, um, a rail company. Okay. Railroad company. So the apple didn't fall, fall far from the tree. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then finally, if you, if you couldn't live in Arizona, which would be terrible, where would you live? Oh, I'd probably live on in Hawaii and run like a food truck or something fun. <laughs> well, on that bombshell, uh, Jen, thanks for taking uh, the time to be, speak with us today. Thanks for the great work you're doing with the foundation. Um, and hopefully we'll have you back in a year or so to see how these things are going. Thank you. Thank you.